0: This is The Defenders Podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we're exploring Marvel 616, Episode 7, The Marvel Method. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. We are here looking at Episode 7, the Marvel method of the documentary anthology series Marvel 616. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm your other host, Derek. It's getting exciting there. are only a couple of weeks away from WandaVision, John. I know. Can't wait. 15th of January, mm. and we will be starting all Descent into Madness. Yes,
1: yes, I <laughs> know, um, the Multiverse of Madness. Yes, uh, this is setting up Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, isn't it? And we found out recently it's nine episodes uh, in WandaVision as well, uh, which we didn't really know when we started covering this series even. We thought it was going to be six episodes, so that's kind of cool. But this series that we're doing, the documentary series for Marvel, is because we wanted to dive into a bit of Marvel. Uh, we have mentioned it every episode, but we might as well mention it again. Uh, we wanted to dive into a bit of Marvel before we got back into WandaVision, because we've been a, wee- a year off from Marvel when we used to be Defenders TV podcast defending Marvel, and we're going to be uh, jumping into uh, WandaVision on Disney+. Plus. So uh, we thought, why not jump into a documentary Yeah,
0: ex- exactly. And of course, we do know that The Scarlet Witch will also be appearing in doctor strange the multiverse of madness yes. because of filming in london or in the uk at the moment and elizabeth olsen is the uh, Getting our acting chops yes. uh, all together for that.
1: Yes, currently in lockdown in the UK, waiting for filming to continue on Doctor Strange. Yeah, but this is not about one division. This is not about Doctor Strange Multiverse Madness. Despite the fact that you might want it to be, John, um, we are on the seventh episode of Marvel Six One Six. talking about the Marvel Method—a term I've definitely heard many, many times over the years of comic yes. book fan. And we should, we should emphasize this is about writing nothing yes. else yes exactly it's not like tantric no it is about writing <laughs> no definitely would be a weird documentary in disney plus if it was about anything other than marvel writing <laughs> it, it really really would but <laughs> well, talk to us about this episode john um what's this one about what's the kind of focus of this one um this really
0: surprised me actually um i i wasn't really sure what to expect but it's really looking at the race against time actually Mm -hmm. uh, by the creative team in place behind iron man 2020 yeah and as they use the marvel method to create that first issue of of the comic Mm -hmm. um and it has a real nice feel about it. it it's like um it's almost like the a-team coming together to write <laughs> this comic book yep. and you know you've got the writer in dan slot and um, you have christos gage who's brought in as a co-writer mm-hmm. to help sort of um work on some sort of the text with dan slots you have pete woods as the artist and joe Carmangner as the letterer, uh, all overseen by the lead editor, Tom Brevoort. Uh, But they've all got their own kind of role, because I suppose arguably um, this Marvel method that they're using Mm -hmm. um, really... I suppose it's different from what is termed as the script method, where you write it out as script. So, you you know, you would have panel one, the scene, set the scene, write the text, description of the characters coming in, maybe some background. um, And it arguably allows for maybe more or a deeper collaborative or co-creation of the comic Mm -hmm. between all these players, um, but specifically between the writer and the artist in developing the story, because what was really interesting was how it starts off with, with Dan Slott, um, known for killing off Spider-Man. Um, oh, poor dude. Yeah, That's, uh, exactly. Yeah.
1: That's social media stuff, yes. <laughs>
0: exactly, yeah, but it, it starts off with him, where he he writes an outline, essentially, to the artist. So mm-hmm. there's no text in there. Um, it, it's about just outlining the sort of overarching story, where it's set, uh, and those kind of elements.
1: You say there's no text. There's loads of text in there. No, there's there no is, dialogue in there but there's
0: no this. dialogue. Yeah. It, yeah. There's not really. There's, there's a basic description mm-hmm. of what's happening um maybe of the antagonists and protagonists
1: within the story It's the feeling and the approach is basically what he what he says exactly i have to say can i just to kind of start this off dan slot is such a good host for this hour central kind of focus for this episode i love just the interplay right at the beginning between himself and um Tom Brevoort, who they say they've worked together for almost a quarter of a century, 25 years. They've kind of worked together over the years. And you can tell from the the way that it's played, I suppose, from Brevoort kind of going... Dan is terrible with timelines. He's absolutely terrible to yeah. hit the mark and they have that kind of banter between the two and that you can tell they've worked together for years. Dan Slot is a well-respected writer, loads of like he's done so many different books over the years, very well respected. But seeing this kind of look into the back into the background where he's kind of willing to say, yeah, okay, I do get get there in the end, but I am the greatest at timelines, at timekeeping, I suppose. So he uses the Marvel method, one of the last people in Marvel, really, to use this often. Yeah. And it does seem that he uses it the same way Stan Lee used to, which I love that kind of tying back to why the Marvel method was created, I suppose. Stan Lee used this because he was on every book, so he couldn't possibly write the script for every single book and get deliver all the books on time. So he kind of used this collaborative method with the artists. They'd create the art, and he'd write word balloons to go along with the art that they created sometimes. He'd give people an outline, and they'd run away and do the, do the artwork for the story, and he'd come back and create this really bombastic Stan Lee style over the top of the artwork that would come back is the way that they'd done it. So it seems like... Adam, not, no criticism to Dan Slott. It seems like the Marvel method is used for people that are slightly more disorganized than people that have... Or a, short on time. <laughs> short on time. Yeah, yeah on time, Which, which
0: is thing. weird yeah. because um, it, it feels pretty intense and maybe a bit more uh, labor intensive because mm-hmm. of that communication and involvement and the changes going back and forth between writer, artists the penciler, the Mm -hmm. editor. So, actually, there's a lot of moving parts in this. Maybe Not that you don't have the same moving parts on a script, but it's an evolving work, but really from a genesis. It It feels more like it's starting from a Big Bang, whereas the Big Bang... On the script has already happened with the writer, yeah, um, and it's it's finessing and nuancing, unless there's a real issue with it, um, and I, I guess that's how it felt as though it came across here, yeah, um, so it's weird that it would be used by someone who finds it difficult to stick to the timeline because yeah. it does feel like um a real rush. I mean, Tom Brevoort, the lead editor uh, for Iron Man 2020, uh, was was just saying we've burnt into our, 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 our time buffer that we've had just to do the first issue. Of the six-issue like, run, yeah, wasn't it? Of yeah. the six-issue run. Yeah. Now it's going to be even more time pressure to get them out because they've absolutely used all that spur time that they had uh, prior to issue one being published. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Absolutely. And I agree. I think uh, Tom Brevoort is it, almost like a really great foil to Dan Slott. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the... I love how they place Dan Slot into this documentary. You know, he's in this black room trying to write. And yeah. you go, you have a, a writer's block moment with it. Um, and you, you just see him, you know... Typing something out, deleting, yeah. changing the
1: words around. So there's a nice feel uh, to it. I love that they even incorporated the autocorrect when he's trying to spell a word, can't spell it and has to keep going <laughs> back and deleting it multiple times. I, I think it's just a really, a really well put together documentary. Uh, it's, it's interesting that this follows the episode that we kind of criticized, the shortest episode of the series that seemed to be missing the kind of end to end piece that you do in a documentary the episode about toys effectively and we felt that they were missing a bit where they didn't have the fandom interaction and they didn't have people that actually play with the toys or that side of things that didn't have the end to end this is the idea this is how it's made this is how it comes to fruition and this is how it gets to the store kind of thing this is absolutely sitting down in front of a blank screen and how it gets out into the shops and it ends with dan slot sitting there signing copies of it for his audience i had to read the comic book directly after watching this i did I did get it on Comixology, read uh, this first issue, the Iron Man uh, 2020 storyline, just to see what the finished product was. And it is really interesting. It does, you can see how some of the things they talk about within uh, the Marvel method, how they played out in the final book, because they say that Pete Woods contributes quite a lot to it because he's doing these these amazing scenes or these amazing panels of multiple characters in there. And you can see how it played back into the dialogue. Uh, For example, one of the things that I loved, one of the sets of robots that are attacking in this issue are... LMDs of Nick Fury, John. So we get traditional old-fashioned Nick Fury in this book again. I haven't seen Nick Fury in a book for years. So seeing the LMDs of Nick Fury in there, really cool touch. Um, There's a scene where we have multiple robots from the history of Marvel all uh, in... They mention it in the in the documentary, the Thirteenth Floor. Uh, some of these robots are very famous robots that you haven't seen for years, like Herbie from the Fantastic yeah, Four cartoon, yeah. is in there. Um, I loved that I could now see from seeing this documentary. I love that I can now see how the artwork played back into the writing.
0: Exactly, cool. and so that outline by Dan Slot goes to Pete Woods, who was the artist, and in in some ways, I suppose it was a little simpler because he was the penciler, the inker, yeah. and the colorist and he he draws effectively the art and the the pages of, of the comic yeah. which i know that sounds weird to say but that's exactly what he does uh, to the outline and it, it, there's a really nice moment because um he wanted to do something with the iron man 2020 look uh-huh. he hated the cogs uh, yes he absolutely hated them and in the t- back and forth between him and and uh dan slot dan slot says no these are iconic these have to be on them it's the only defining feature of
1: iron man 2020 are the exactly. big shoulder pad cogs yeah. and so this character of, of argo stark hasn't appeared very much in the comic books they're no. saying that it, there was a storyline done in the 80s going this is the iron man of the absolute future we'll give him a new name and everything this is going to be the the brother of tony and the only thing that people could remember of him were the massive cogs on his on his outfit. So this isn't an opportunity for the artist Pete Woods to create a new Iron Man suit. This is the opportunity for him to take the old design that was given in the 80s even though it was terrible, and updated for what it would look like. But it 20. could
0: have been, yeah. but the fact that Dan Slot gave the outline rather than saying he wants cogs on the suit, yeah. or the character with big cogs on suit, mm-hmm. um, meant that you had that interchange. And, you know, it went to, in, in the way of retaining the cogs, but it it may not have done yeah. because the artist, Pete Woods, didn't like them. He said he hated them. Yeah. And then in getting the notes back from Dan Slot saying, you know, we've got to retain the cogs, he just went, okay, I'll go all out and did the biggest exactly. cogs uh, <laughs> you can possibly imagine on someone's shoulders. I mean, yeah total like, 80s cogs, things we've got cogs. yeah we've got cogs and <laughs> um, so you know really interesting um, and the other one was with christos gage where you know um one of the panels that that pete woods had done it was of the main cybernetic villains of of the the comic book and it was this this huge beast mm-hmm. and you know christos gage just. Christos the, the, wrote the text for this and decided that it needed to be included in the art rather than in a, in a text bubble. Yeah. And um, what it was saying, you also have this back and forth between Christoph Skage and Dan Slot because, um, Christoph Skage is writing, um, some of the, the the text for the speech bubbles um, and he was putting in a lot of cat puns which he 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 loves cats he's got loads of cats and um, and that just had to be uh dare i say it, uh, brought back um on the suggestion of dan slot because uh, he said he wanted dr shapiro who was this very intelligent cat to think like a cat not behave as humans thought cats would behave and so there was a real this kind of interchange going back and forth and and ultimately that interchange is one of um where there is a a medium between the writer and co-writer in this instance or the writer co-writer and the artist they come to an accommodation or they go one way or another and it was really it felt very, very collaborative. It, yeah. it really did. Um, it but as I say, it felt really intense and mm-hmm. you, you could sense, um, that in some ways this Marvel method pioneered by Stan Lee with the likes of Jack Kirby, mm-hmm. you know, it was born of a pressured situation exactly. of having to get a lot of things out, but also one where they're actually in close contact with one another, either in the bullpen at the Marvel offices. Mm -hmm. This is happening across the whole of the US. You've got Christos Gage in LA, you have Dan Sloss in New York, and Pete Woods owns a trailer and goes around the country, which is really, really cool. And so he could be anywhere in the US. As long as I have internet access, I can upload my pages
1: and then do it anywhere. You
0: know, that that sense of that remote communication even just with this lockdown, the, it's a different way of having to communicate. You, you know, um, rather than being effectively Lee in his office, and mm-hmm. the the artists, the inkers, the pencilers, the letterers, all just being on the same floor yeah. that you can pop your head around the corner and, and chat with them or Absolutely. whatever. And as, so, we, as we learned earlier really on in the,
1: in the documentary series with the Amazing Artisans uh, episode, uh, there are now artists working everywhere in every time zone across the world now. It's not just the bullpen in New York now. It's it's artists working all across the world on all of these books. Um, the other thing I'd like to call out as well is that they incorporated the editing process in here as well, where you see uh, Shannon Ballesteros, uh, who's the, the editor that was responsible for this book, working for Tom Brevoort. But what I found interesting was everybody's under time pressure. As you say, this was just the first issue of six that had to be delivered, and the rest of them, they only have a four-week lead time, effectively. Uh, This one they had however long they wanted to, because they knew this book was coming out in 2020, effectively. Could have had six months working on this. exactly. But I love that you have um, this final kind of proofread from... The editing team who are sitting there looking at the pretty much final version of the book just before it goes to the letterer and they're making their final changes before it gets produced and before it goes out for publishing effectively. Um, I like that they incorporated that because you don't see that side of things very often. It's always talking about the artist, the uh, the uh, writer's and then the letterer does get some involvement in a lot of cases, but seeing the editing process, seeing that they have to go through and yep. say, if there's any spelling mistakes, they can only be fixed at one point. Well, that was um,
0: it. The interesting thing was of, of that was that, that, that first look. And, um, she, she was saying, this is where the big changes and the big comments need to go. Yep. Because when it comes to effectively the draft final of it, it is, um, you, you know, unless there's some kind of car crash, I guess, yeah. you can't be making such big changes. But he, but even then, I noticed she was even just making different speech bubbles and sending mm-hmm. that back to Joe Comagna, and the letterer, to yeah. just change up or to put in a different font or, or whatever, yeah. or just slightly different wording to make it clearer or
1: whatever. Yeah. So it was. It was a fascinating part of it as Absolutely. well. And I also have to give a shout-out to Joe Carmaga, as, as you mentioned, the, the letterer for this. Um, I worked in a marketing department for many, many years, and I could, I could feel his pain when he's saying, you know, I'm the letterer, I'm the last person that touches the book. When I produce the PDF copy of it, it goes to the printers from my computer, and they start printing effectively. So he's the last person that touches the book, and he's going... What that means is if my cutoff point is 6.30 in the evening, that means I can get changes up until 6.15 in the evening. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And you're kind of feeling that happens regularly. And I can remember it from working in marketing uh, for many years, doing adverts, advertising, that kind of stuff, where if you tell them, if you give a specific time to the people who are supplying you with all of uh, their requirements, you give them a specific time for cutoff, they're going to use every single second of that. So I hope his actual cutoff time is 7 p.m. maybe.
0: Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> but, I mean, this is a real recommend. It's a real interesting kinetic and a bit of a mad look at the, the marvel method mm-hmm. uh, pioneered by really stan re- yeah. lee yeah. it seems really realistic doesn't it Should it like, does though so, well? yeah, yeah. It, it really does feel uh realistic okay. um, and i think it's a real interesting insight into the world of uh, or one way of creating a a, a, a comic issue um and a, and a series yeah that I suppose has fallen out of favour now. So it's really interesting
1: to yeah. see. I did mention earlier on in this series about the interview I did with Charlie Adlard, uh, yeah. the artist on The Walking Dead, for The Walking Dead cast. Go check it out. It's a really fun interview that we did with him. But what I found interesting is that that's the way he collaborated with um, Robert Kirkman on The Walking Dead. It was a 50-50 split. He did the artwork. Robert Kirkman wrote the story, and together they created the book. They believe there is an absolute 50-50 split, which sends. Very much like the Marvel method, doesn't it? Yeah, it um, really there's does. There's a little outline coming back and forth between them. They collaborate on what exactly is going to appear on the page for their audience, effectively. So, uh, so I was quite intrigued just seeing that that's how they work together. It's interesting that seems closer to the Marvel method than the other uh, method of here's a script, you give us the artwork, and we'll put the two together. Um, yes, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Is that it for this episode of The Marvel Method, John? Yeah, it, it is. Uh, this is a really
0: interesting one. Uh, definitely uh, recommend to to check it out mm-hmm. um, for sure.
1: Yeah. And I think I'm going to be buying the rest of uh, of Iron Man 2020 because I really enjoyed the book. Uh, yeah, I still need to read it, yeah. but it, it sounded good from what you were saying. So, yeah,
0: maybe something to, to check out as well, fellow Defenders. Uh, Iron Man 2020. Yes. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, We will be back for Marvel 616 Episode 8 Spotlight. Yes. And, of course, WandaVision on the 15th of January. You can get us and subscribe over at tvpodcastindustries.com. Please rate us, leave a review, and you can search for us on any good or evil podcast catcher of your choice.
1: Yeah, Thanks so much for joining us for Episode 7 of uh, Marvel 616. Episode 8, Spotlight, is the last episode of our documentary series. Lots of fun doing documentary this time. Yeah, it's been pretty cool. Yeah. yeah,
0: thanks so much for joining us, fellow defenders. As always, it is a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep defending.
1: Bye bye.